Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. I don't know what you're thinking, but I think heaven's going to be pretty good. And I'm looking forward to it. And just a reminder, we're not home yet, but we're going to be. Team, you can come on down. And teenagers and children, we're going to dismiss you to Children's Club and Teen Ministry at this time. So children and teenagers, hope you have a great night. I don't know if you know this or not, but at least two young people in the past two nights have professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are very grateful for God's work in the young people's life. And thank you for getting them here. So parents and grandchildren, thank you. This is a revival for the whole family. And we're so grateful uh, that you're getting your young people here. Everyone else, as they're dismissing, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 1 tonight. James chapter 1. And there is no handout for tonight, but you can follow along on the PowerPoint this evening. James chapter 1, and we're going to be looking in verse 14. James chapter 1, verse 14. Tonight, I want to preach to you a message. This is only the second time that I've, I've shared it, and uh, I shared it the first time a couple of weeks ago uh, down in Asheville, North Carolina, and just felt led to share it with you tonight. The message is entitled, Spiritual Amnesia. Spiritual Amnesia. And this came from a thought that I had a few years ago. I used to call it kind of gospel amnesia, that many times we as Christians forget the very gospel that we profess and we say that we're now in. Uh, We're in Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But as I was talking with the team over the past few weeks and we were doing Bible study one morning, we started talking about all these things that we forget every time we sin. You see, every time a believer sins... It's not because we had to, it's because we choose to, because we've been set free from the power of sin. And we know that we're not going to be like Christ uh, until we see Him face to face. So becoming like Christ is a progressive thing. But when a believer sins, it's, it's because we chose to submit ourselves back to the old person, a power that we've been set free from. And we got to talking about this, all the different things that you and I as believers forget every time we commit sin. Because we've been given overwhelming, precious promises in the gospel. So tonight, I want to talk to you about this concept of spiritual amnesia. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness tonight. And we pray, Lord, that over the next few moments, as we look in your word, that your spirit would illuminate your word to us, stir our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word, Lord, set us aflame tonight, burn within us your word, and Lord, help us to leave here different than when we came in. Growing in your Son, putting on your Son, being filled with your Spirit, and Lord, most of all tonight, help us to leave here remembering. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the older I get, the more I'm forgetting things. Now, some of you may say, well, you're not old enough to forget stuff yet. Well, it is starting to happen. And it's happening even more when people think I'm in my 50s, though I'm only 42. I get that comment weekly. They look, in fact, twice in the past two years, people have thought that my wife was my daughter. That was a real blessing for my wife. She, in fact, that happened during COVID. And uh, people are like, man, COVID's been such a bad year. My wife's like, this has been the best year of my life. Was well, because people think that you're my daughter instead of my wife, even though we're only a year and a half apart. So I look a little older than my age, but there are some days I'm really starting to feel older than my age, and that is I forget things more often than I used to. 
Sometimes your brain just gets clogged up, and you're like, wait, for the life of me, I cannot remember that person's name, or I can't remember this, or I remember uh, two weeks ago, I could not for the life of me remember my phone number. Someone asked me my phone number at a, a, somewhere at a retail place. You know, they ask you your phone number and your social security number and everything just to make a purchase. And, uh, and they said, hey, what's your phone number? And I'm like, you know, that is a great question. I have no idea what my phone number is. And uh, so amnesia, sometimes we forget. But what's very interesting is, is as you walk through the Bible, it's amazing how many times God looks at his people and says, the reason you aren't walking with me is because you are forgetting things. And therefore, you need to remember. Remember. So I want to walk through you real quick how James describes the process of sin takes place every time we sin. And then I want to remind you of some things that is not an exhaustive list, but I think it's several things that you and I forget every time we sin. Take a look with me, James chapter 1, verse 14. James says this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We preach out of James on Sunday. He's the half-brother of Jesus. He got saved after the resurrection. He's the first pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And he said this, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full-grown, brings forth death. So I want to walk through real quick the process of sin. Now here's the thing. We should be professionals at what I'm about to share because we're all professional sinners. Um, my dad, my dad, actually this is my mom and dad sitting right here, and my dad knows how to work on a lot of things. I didn't pick up a lot of that from him. I picked out some things from him, but I did not pick up that from him very good. I can barely screw in a light bulb and... Um, and that only sometimes goes the way it should. He can fix things. But one thing I remember my dad saying, even though he knew how to fix a lot of things, is he hated plumbing. Plumbing, yeah, amen. You almost said amen there, didn't you, Dad? He hated plumbing. Well, you know what? Um, we may look at something like that and say, man, I don't know a thing about plumbing. Well, let me tell you what, every one of us, you didn't have to go to school to figure it out, every one of us are professionals, we're masters at it, and that is sin. No one had to teach us how to sin. We just know how to do it. You know, I've got uh, three kids. You know what's amazing? I never once taught them how to fight in the backseat of the car. I mean, my wife and I never did it. We never got in the car and said, okay, guys, tonight we're going out. I know no one's fighting, but we just want to teach you in case you ever think about fighting, here's how you do it in the backseat of the car and drive your parents crazy. We never had that class, but they're really good at it. We all know how to sin because we're born with a sin nature. Now, if we're in Christ, we've been set free from the power of sin, the penalty of sin, and one day we'll be set free from the presence of sin forever, and we're going to sing an endless hallelujah. But until then, we're very good at what James just described. But we forget even how this happens. Even though we have committed what you see up here on this screen innumerable times, we forget what actually takes place every time we sin. So let's just break this down real quick. Every time you and I sin... The first thing that happens is temptation. The first thing that happens is temptation. James says, but each one, that's every one of us, is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires. So what is temptation? Here's just a few things I want to remind you of tonight about temptation. Number one, it comes from Satan. Temptation can come from Satan, but it also comes from within our old man. 
So we are new creatures. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We now have a new nature. We have a new heart. We have the Christ life. We have the Holy Spirit. We have God's spiritual life, but it's encapsulated in an old body that is subject to sin. So every time we're tempted, we are tempted from the devil, or we're tempted from our old flesh, or we're tempted from the world, this antichrist spirit of the age. And in fact, Satan has not changed his tactics. Every time you're tempted, he uses a threefold strategy, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. Now, I I, I like to share this a lot because I think it's just such an amazing thing in scripture. Adam and Eve in Genesis 2 are in a perfect environment. They're in the Garden of Eden. It's all great. They walk with God. There's nothing between them and God. Satan comes to them in a perfect environment and tempts them with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, and they had a grand failure. But you go over to Matthew 4, thousands of years later, and there's our Savior, God in the flesh. He has been in the wilderness, not the Garden of Eden, for 40 days and 40 nights. He's had nothing to eat. He is hungry. And then he has been all by himself except for his relationship with the Heavenly Father. In fact, he's out in the wilderness with the beast, the Bible says. And in his loneliness and in his 40 days of hunger, then Satan comes to him. This does not sound like a perfect environment at all. So in this very imperfect wilderness, the devil comes to our Savior and tempts him with what? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and pride of life. And where Adam and Eve had a grand failure in a perfect environment, our Savior, in an absolute imperfect environment, knocked it out of the park. He had a grand victory. And so the Bible says he was tempted in all points like us. So when you're tempted, our Savior understands, though he was sinless. And in every temptation, he gives us a way out. And he is our great high priest, and he always lives to make intercession for us. He understands because he has undergone the greatest of temptation, yet he was a grand victor while we were a grand failure. And now as our representative and as our substitute, he is sinless and fulfilled all righteousness. Therefore, he was the only one worthy to take our sin on the cross so that he who knew no sin became our sin so that we could have his grand record of victory. That was a mouthful, but that was good stuff. You say... And by the way, if you go down to Valley View Walmart at night and you stand outside and you say, hey, are you going to heaven when you die? Eight out of ten people are going to say yes. But then when you ask why, most people are going to follow the religion of the world that says this, I'm going to heaven because I'm a pretty good person. You know what you just said? You don't need a Savior. The cross was a waste of time and you're good enough. You're righteous enough. You don't need the grand victory of Christ because you think you're a victor all in of yourself. That is the religion of every religion in the world. I will work my way to God, and I will do my part. I will set the standard God owes me. We need a righteousness of perfection. No one even comes close. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need a grand record of absolute victory in every moment from someone who loved God with all their heart, soul, and mind from the day they were born to the day they died. There's only one person who fits that bill. It's Jesus Christ. So in every temptation, we are tempted in the same way our Savior was. But now, here's why I said all that. His victory that he won for you is now given to you in salvation. So many Christians walk around and say, I'm saved. Great. What are you saved from? Well, I'm not going to hell. When I die, I'm going to heaven. Great. But that's only one part of what you were saved from. You were also saved from the power of sin. 
You live in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you ever move on from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're going to fall flat on your face. So the moment Jesus Christ died for us, and we then, by grace through faith, received Him, when He died, your old man died. The old Mark Hopkins was put to death with Christ. You say, how how do you know that? Romans 6. When He died, we died with Him. And when he raised himself from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says now Mark Hopkins is raised to walk in newness of life. That's what baptism represents. Not I, not the old Mark, but Christ in me, the new Mark. So as I appropriate the victory, I now can walk in his victory that he earned in my behalf in every temptation. By the way, let me throw this out. I know this is only point one. I've got to speed up the program here. Point one, every temptation can be turned into a victory. Let me give you an example. You're walking into Food Lion, which... Does anybody shop at Food Lion anymore? A few? Okay, a few of you. All right. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut down Food Lion. I just never go anymore. So, you walk into Food Lion, and you walk up to the cashier aisle, and there's a magazine stand there. And everything the world holds dear is represented in those magazines. And all of a sudden, you're tempted with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. But at that moment that you're tempted, you say, wait a second, I am a new person in Christ Jesus. I am dead to that. I'm alive to an endless hallelujah. And now all of a sudden, you just turn that temptation into a moment of victory, and Satan hates it. So every temptation can be a moment of victory. That's what Jesus did when he was tempted. He knocked it out of the park. And so a few other things on temptation. You can keep yourself out of the path of temptation, watch and pray, make no provision for the, pl- for the flesh. Jesus says, whenever you pray, pray, Lord, deliver me today from temptation and from the evil one. And here's another thing. We will be tempted in this world, but God is faithful and always provides a way out. He always provides a way out. If you're sitting here tonight and say, man, I keep failing in the area of temptation. I just can't overcome this. That's a lie. He always provides a way out. We have a high priest who sympathizes with us, gives us his victory. And then one final thing I want to say on temptation, because this is so important. I preached a message on this several years ago when I was a pastor, and probably that message, more than any other message, I had a line of like 12 people waiting to talk to me after the service. And I thought, wow, what's the, what's the deal here? And it was this. So many people believe the lie that temptation is a sin. It's not. If temptation is a sin, Jesus is a sinner. He was in every point tempted as us. If temptation is a sin, then he's a sinner. But he's not a sinner. He is sinless. Just because a thought comes to your mind doesn't mean that you've sinned. There's many times thoughts come to my mind, and I'm like, I didn't do that. That came from the world. That came from my old flesh. That came from the enemy. I didn't do that. It's what I do with it that becomes sin or a victory. And I think so many times Satan tempts people with some horrible, wicked things, and then here's what then, then he says, oh, you just thought that, look at who you are. And then you're like, well, this was supposed to be the way I am, so you just wallow in it. Temptation in of itself is not a sin. It's what you do with the temptation. That is very, very important. Secondly, James says here that not only you are tempted, but you're tempted by sinful desire. So sinful desire. So basically temptation works this way. The temptation comes, and it tries to play on evil desires that are within your old flesh. So one of the greatest ways to overcome 
your sinful desires, the Bible says, don't pamper it, kill it. Mortify, that's where we get the word mortician from, mortify the deeds of the flesh. So you say, man, I'm really struggling in an area as it relates to sin. Well, you know why? It's because you want it. So your want-tos have to change. So you've got to mortify the deeds of the flesh, put it to death. But here's the thing. The more you behold your God and find Him to be a superior pleasure in Him who there is pleasure forevermore, and you see that He's offering an ocean of grace when sin is offering nothing but mud pies, uh, once you begin to grab your affections onto Him, all of a sudden you're weaned off the mud pies of sin because now you're starting to taste from the heavenly banquet table of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now the old sin that used to pull you down so much, you're like, I don't even want that anymore. Why? Because your desires have changed. Uh, here's an example I give the team all the time. You can walk up to me right now with a great big basket of cauliflower. And you can look at me and say, Pastor Mark, I'm telling you, I grew this cauliflower. I used all natural fertilizer. I have babied this cauliflower. This cauliflower would earn first place prizes in state fairs around the world. Do you want some? And I'm going to say, no. Now, come on, Pastor Mark. Look at the cauliflower. It, doesn't it look amazing? I'm like, mm -mm. Come on now. I'm tempting you. You want some? Nothing. You want to know why? I don't. I have like a minus 5,000 desire for cauliflower. But you know what get me every time? Pastor Mark. Here is some Lexington-style barbecue with North Carolina vinegar sauce. I'm like, get out of my way, and how much did you bring? You say, what's the difference? I want it. You know one of the most powerful things I've seen this year in these team members who are 18 years old, of whom the Bible says, flee youthful lust, is they're starting to put aside their youthful lust because they got taste buds for heaven. I've had some of them share with me and say, you know what, the things I was struggling with six months ago before I came on this team, I don't have a desire for anymore at all. You say, what happened? Their desires changed. And when the desire changes, the temptation comes, and it used to get you every time. It may have got you every time it came for the past three years of your life, but now your desires have changed in Jesus Christ, and, the, and it comes, you're like, why did I ever want that? That's Burger King. I got a steakhouse in heaven. So one of the greatest things that needs to happen in our lives is for an affection change because temptation plays on sinful desire. But if you don't have toys to give the devil, he doesn't have much to play with. Number three, sin works this way. It offers deception. James says here, everyone is tempted when he is drawn away by his own evil desires and deceived. And then when desire has conceived, it brings forth sin. Big story short, here's all it's saying. It's saying Satan sets a trap for you. This word is actually used for catching animals in a trap. Satan lures us into a trap and says, don't you want this? I'm not going to give you the terms and conditions, but once you bite, I got you. That's how we trap animals. Uh, that's how we do all sorts of things. The animal cannot resist the temptation of what's in the trap, and the next thing you know, they've lost their life. 
Well, James uses the same analogy for us. He's saying every time sin comes to knock him, if you're still playing around with these sinful desires that you've not allowed Jesus Christ to continue to change you by his spirit and by his word, you're going to fall for it every time. And every time you fall for it and bite, you're going to get a hook in your mouth. Because the devil never gives you the terms and conditions. And lastly, he says that you embrace sin. So when you're deceived, you embrace sin. Now, the temptation itself was not sin. It's when you decide to embrace it. How do you embrace it? With my mind, I see it. With my heart, I want it. With my will, I'm going with it. When that happens, sin is born. And then, he says, that leads to death. Now, for the unbeliever, this is going to lead to everlasting death. For the believer, though, every time we sin, something dies. Here's the first thing that goes out the door every time a believer sins. Your intimacy with God. That's why we have 1 John 1, 9. It's all about intimacy. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why does the believer given that? Because every time we sin, we bring death to our intimacy with the Heavenly Father. That's the greatest thing we lose every time we walk in sin. But then secondly, we're going to bring death to relationships. We're going to bring death to our testimony. And there's some things we bring death to that though we are forgiven, you never ever in this, on this earth are able to overcome the consequences. It just depends how egregious the sin is. But sin brings forth death. Now, with all that said, the Bible tells us we cannot forget. So every time we sin, we have to forget so much to bite the hook again. I mean, I want you to imagine with me for a moment. I remember one day, back when I was a teenager, uh, we grew up near High Rock Lake there in North Carolina. My dad and I were out fishing. And I remember we had been out fishing for about an hour, and we kept throwing the same color uh, worm, plastic worm, out in the water. And we're bringing it in. And after about an hour, we realized they're not biting this worm. So dad said, hey, Mark, change the color. So I don't remember what color I changed it to, but I changed it from a green worm to a pink worm, and I threw it out to two cast, and all of a sudden, boom, bite. First time in an hour. Next thing you know, I got a fish. You say, what happened? They didn't have an appetite for the green worm, but they had an appetite for the pink worm. But then you throw it out again, and another one bites. Well, he just saw his buddy get drug in. He forgot. Well, the Bible says, as a fool, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. You say, how do you do that? You forget. Notice these two verses, and I want to close with some things that we forget every time we sin. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. You know what this is talking about? The people of Israel. I mean, it's not every day that you have ten plagues that are absolutely supernatural that take down the strongest superpower on planet Earth at that time. You're delivered, though you're slaves, out of a superpower land called Egypt. You're now walking around, and within a few weeks, you absolutely forget what the God of the impossible did for you, and you're bowing down to a golden cow that you made with the earrings that you got from the Egyptians saying, this is the one who got me out of Egypt. That is absurd. Until I look at my own life. For example, again, y'all have something going on that I haven't been to a church in America. I've been to about 30 churches this year already. No one's had a prayer request board with an answer. Who worked through prayer? Say God. God. And your pastor calls this what kind of prayer board? impossible, meaning it's impossible with man 
but it's possible with God. I don't know who wrote these, but whoever put these up were pretty excited about it. And then next thing you know, a few days later, another circumstance comes to your life, and you worry instead of pray. It happens so quick. You say, how in the world could the Israelites just a month ago have seen all these supernatural plagues? I mean, the Nile Sea was red with blood. And then you make a cow and say, this is who got you out of Egypt? I mean, are y'all insane? And then a bad day comes and we forget everything God just did for us in the past year. One of our biggest problems is we fail to remember. Notice this verse. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted. In other words, they fell into temptation. They had this desire for sin, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert, and he gave them their request, but he sent leanness into their soul. Can I just run something by you? I think that just described the American church. There's so much secret sin going on in the church. So we're lusting after these things of the world. And then God's saying, fine, you want it? Take it. But guess what's going to come to your soul? Leanness. You say, how do you know that? We're the richest nation in human history, yet we're the most oppressed. We're the one, we're the one that are most afraid. Read the statistics. It's incredible. Leanness in our soul because we forget. So I want to close with these simple things, and uh, we're going to take just a minute. Five simple things that we forget. I'm going to say these quickly. Every time you sin, here's some things you and I forget. The first thing we forget is the gospel. Every time Mark Hopkins sins, I forget that I was saved, and therefore I am I was put to death with Christ on the cross. I'm in his death, burial, and resurrection. I was buried with him. I died with him. I was buried with him, and I've been raised to walk in newness of life. Every time I sin, I forget the gospel. You say, how do I know that? Notice what Peter says. He says, for he who lacks these things, you said what things? He's talking about all these maturing things in Christ Jesus. He says, for those who lack holiness, basically, is short-sighted, even to blindness, And why? Because they have forgotten that they were cleansed from their old sins. Every time I sin, I forget that I was delivered from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day I say that I want to go to a place where there's no more sin. And like I want to go there forever. So why did I just sin? (laughs) I thought I was getting away from that. I thought I didn't want that anymore. I forgot the gospel. Here's the second thing we forget every time we sin, the promises of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Here's what God says. He says, the thousands of promises that I've given you, if you rehearse those and get those in your heart and mind, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. He says, the more you get the promises of God in your mind, the more it should keep you from sin. Every time I sin, I forget the promises. 
I forget that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I forget that my redemption draweth nigh. I forget that I've been sealed into the day of redemption. I forget that Jesus always gives me a way out. I forget that He will never leave me or forsake me. I forget that He is holy and always watching. You see, every time I sin, it's a failure to remember the promises. Number three, every time I sin, here's a big one. It should make all of us just start crying. I forget the goodness of God. Y'all know that, you know, there's a new song out, pretty popular. All my life he has been faithful. All my life he has been so, so good. Every time I sin, I squash all over that. David, a man after God's own heart, committed adultery with Bathsheba, and because he didn't repent, because sin always leads to more sin if it's not dealt with, he had her husband killed to cover it up. Many theologians say that he went a year and a half in this state of unrepentance, though he was a saved man and a man after God's own heart, which is encouragement for many of us. One day, Nathan the prophet came to him, and he said, David, let me tell you a story. He said, what would you think of somebody in your kingdom that stole what this guy had over here that didn't have much? And David said, man, I, how dare he do that? And he said, David, you're that man. David, God has been so good to you. You have everything you want times 10. And you went over here to this poor guy and took his little. You're that man. And then Nathan said this, what caused you to trample and despise the commandments of God? This one breaks my heart more than anything because every time I sin, God has been nothing but good to me. There's never been a time that God is not good. That's why Christians say all, this all the time. God is good and all the time and that's never changed. And every time I sin, I look at God who's been so good to me and go, <coughs> forgetting the goodness Number four, every time I sin, I forget the consequences of sin. As the dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. I know we'll forget years ago, I never will forget this governor who was a Christian. Uh, I forget who he was, but he was a governor of South Carolina. But he was a pretty well-known Christian politician. And I never will forget when he got caught in adultery. And, and, and I, I think I was in college at the time, but I never forget the press conference where he came out and basically cleared the air. And there was a picture they took of him whenever he came out, and his face was overwhelmed with guilt and shame. And I tell you what I did. I printed that picture off, and for years I stuck it on my desk. You say, why did you do that? Because every day I wanted to see a man's face who had given up so much for so little to remind me, you better not do it because the same will happen to you. Every time we sin, we get the consequences. Sometimes we don't get all that we deserve, praise God and His mercy. But every time we sin, we forget the consequences. And finally, 
Every time we sin, we forget the judgment seat of Christ. This topic is not talked about much in the church these days, but one day, it's the most important day of your life and mine, you will stand before the judgment seat. The Bible says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is for believers. The great white throne is for the lost. But the believers will stand before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. Why? That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That is going to be a day of reward or lack thereof. Now, praise God, your sin has been taken care of. There is therefore, Romans 8, 1, no condemnation. There's not even one drop of condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In fact, I like to say this. Every time we have communion, Jesus Christ drank your hell so you could drink his cup of eternal life forever. There's not one drop of hell left for a believer. Why? Jesus drank the whole cup. Hallelujah. I mean, that'll make a Baptist shout. Sometimes. But you still give an account. And I was reminding the team of this today. There, there aren't going to be any do-overs. At the judgment seat, it will be what have we done with the grace we have been given with the pure motive for the glory of God and the power of the Spirit according to the Word. What did we do with our Christian life? There will be no do-over. And every time we sin, we forget about the most important day of our lives, the day we will stand before our Savior. Isn't it amazing that we ever sin in light of these things? You know why we do? Because we forget. We forget. You say, well, what do I do so I quit forgetting? You've got to be in God's Word day and night. You've got to be in God's Word day and night. Because if you're not, you and I forget so quickly. And then on top of that, we're inundated with all the other information. So we're taking in all this information from the world, neglecting the Word of God, and then we're sinning like crazy and going, man, I just can't get over this. It's because your forgetter is being fueled up every day. You're starving yourself of that which you need to remember, but you're taking in everything that's telling you to forget. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.